This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason, and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder, powder, treason should ever be forgot. How effective are rhymes uh, in uh, making people remember stuff? And uh, we're very good that, uh, uh, with that here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, tomorrow, of course, is Bonfire Night or Guy Fox Night, uh, a night that uh, marks the um, failed gunpowder plot to uh, destroy Parliament in London back in 1605 and uh, to this day people in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, hold bonfires on uh, November the 5th which is tomorrow evening so please if you are involved in uh, putting together a bonfire or being part of a community bonfire in your area please uh, make sure that you do so safely of course uh, you're not allowed to do that in St. John's for obvious reasons but many many communities across Newfoundland and Labrador uh, are holding uh, uh, formal bonfires and many people have their own little bonfires uh, so please um, remember remember very safely <laughs> so after 19 years at the helm Derek Butler is moving on as executive director of the Association of Seafood Producers Butler has overseen some pretty major changes in the province's processing sector in those two decades and he joins me now hello Hello, Linda. So, Derek, what led to this decision to step away? Um, I guess two things. Uh, one is a good opportunity, uh, and a new and exciting opportunity to work on behalf of the Nunavut Fisheries Association for license holders, indigenous license holders in the north. And uh, just time, uh, just, you know, 19 years is a good run, uh, and not just a good run, Linda, it's been a great run. I know a lot of your listeners are going to look at the fishery and think that's always turmoil. It is but it's dynamic. It's the people that make it. It's been a good run, but I think it's good time for me to refresh at my age, uh, you know, before I sign the next contract. Uh, good for my family and good for ASP to have some renewal. How did you get involved with ASP? Well, that's an interesting story. Uh, this is my first full-time job in Newfoundland, actually, and like a lot of Newfoundlanders abroad, uh, you, you want to come back. I used to joke, feet up, kettle on, uh, fire in. Uh, I didn't get my feet up too much, but I got to come back. I was working in political development in Africa and the Middle East and actually living in Brazil at the time, and I had a call from the then board chair, Herb Clark, asking if I would like to be interviewed for this position. And so it was a chance to come home and contribute to – a chance to come home, which was good, number one, chance to contribute to an industry that's really important to the province. So I relished that. My wife was game, so home we came. You've been all over the world. I didn't realize your career prior to ASP was so varied. <laughs> And it was only when I came back to Newfoundland that somebody jokingly introduced me at a Rotary speech, I think, a good friend, Keith Butler, as uh, having been all over the world. And I said, I've got to add Fogo, Twillingate, and Morton's Harbor to the list. And so I drove, I'd been to Twillingate and Fogo, but I drove past Morton's Harbor one day on my way from a conference in the seafood business and turned and went out there so I could say I'd been there too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I know in our past conversations, you do like to wander and go around and get around and hike and all of that good stuff as well. Absolutely. So that's one of the joys in life to uh, get away from the desk and the computer and the tech and to do, you know, my daughter and I did a long range traverse this summer for a few days and we've done some kayaking trips back country. But that's one of the things where I'm hoping for a bit more balance because that kayaking trip 
backcountry, three days, portages, camping, included conference calls all day in the kayak as I went down the lake. So that kind of thing hopefully ends now and get a bit more life balance with her. So I'm looking forward to that. So you mentioned Nunavut. Uh, are, what's that going to look like? So uh, work from here with repeated trips to Nunavut. So the, the nature of the structure, there's structural gaps in the fishery in the north. So the boats often offload here and the crew changes take place here. And the, the, the four indigenous members, license holders in the north, have offices in the province. Uh, so there's a lot of connections between Newfoundland and the north. So working on behalf of the four member companies of the Nunavut Fisheries Association, uh, dare I say, no FAW, no price negotiations, so that intensity is removed, and, and get to work, on, I think, in a really exciting area. There's an excellent opportunity to, to help make a difference on behalf of the license holders and the communities that are invested in the fishery. It's a real success story how they have developed their fisheries and look at now diversifying, um, increasing indigenous uh, work or careers in the fishery, well-paying jobs, and hopefully there's more we can do in that regard. It really is exciting. And does your adventuring spirit get attracted to the idea of heading up north? Have you been up north before that far? I've flown over it, but haven't been in it, so no. So it is excited at the prospect, but I haven't been, so that's going to be exciting too. I've been north in Labrador, but not, not as far as none of it. So I was at Winters the other night. The coat says minus 30, but I'm uh, I'm tempted to think that's not cold. That's not warm enough of a coat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it may not be. I know people who have worked up uh, in that area, and uh, yeah, it can be pretty cold. But it's a dry cold. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> so I want to talk to you a little bit more about your your history with ASP and what the fishery looked like when you got that call in Brazil um, when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is outgoing executive director of the Association of Seafood Producers. Derek Butler will be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is the outgoing executive director of the Association of Seafood Producers, Derek Butler. He took over as executive director uh, 19 years ago. And Derek, what did the processing sector look like back in 2003? Um, it was it was quite different. Uh, number one, I guess, there was much lower values in terms of market returns uh, for the sector. That was difficult for the processing sector and for harvesters included. Um, we were also, I think, on the downslope. The, the prospects at the time I took over for crab were maybe four to five more years of abundance, and, and then where would we be? We'd be in a very difficult situation because crab is the main driver in terms of the economics of the fishery. All the species are important, and some species are more important to certain members than others. Uh, so we had a, a window in front of us, or a, a slope that um, looked downward, and uh, I think we've pulled a rabbit from a hat. We've had challenges still in many regards, but lobster has expanded from when I started a $20, $25 million business to, I think, it's our second most valuable species now from, from in terms of Newfoundland inshore. Clams is unique in Newfoundland. Then uh, landed in Grand Bank and produced by a member. And then snow crab, we were looking at four to five years maybe, and then snow crab would decline, and expectations were, it's not grim, I mean, it was certainly a downward slope. And uh, and it did indeed go down, but we bottomed out a few years ago at 64 million pounds, and, and it has increased since then. It won't keep going up, but as I just said, we pulled a rabbit out of a hat, you know, strong DFO management. 
the, the MSC certification, which I think helped drive that, the certification, the sustainability certification we achieved, escape mechanisms in pot, enhanced soft cell protocols, closing the season on time to protect the resource and young crab from from being damaged and lost from, from discards. Um, I think we've really improved things. I mean, it was in 1997 that the Auditor General reported on shellfish and said we needed to adopt stronger and better fisheries management in shellfish. And some of that has happened and is still still underway, but some of that has happened, and I think crab has been a real success story. When it comes to fisheries management, is there a better understanding now of uh, the importance of, uh, uh, of fisheries management and being, um, I guess, good custodians of the resource? Because after all, it's what we all pretty much rely on. I think so, and the industry has bought into that uh, in terms of the, both the MSC certifications that we do and the fisheries improvement projects that we have engaged in. There's there's two in COD, one spearheaded by the FAW and another by ASP and the Atlantic Groundfish Council. There's the fisheries improvement project on lobster as well, which we're undertaking. So that's inherently a recognition on the part of the industry, harvesters and processors included, that you need strong and effective management. Ray Hilborn, a professor out of the University of Washington, I believe it is, or Seattle, he in fact gave the John, John K. Ganeth, uh, Galbraith guest lecture a few years ago at Memorial, and he's recently had an academic paper published. You can have good and responsible fisheries management, and it can change fisheries performance. Um, and there's been a recognition in the fact that in the fact that the industry has stepped up, conducted these programs, the ECHO certifications like MSC, the FIP work that we're doing, we're recognizing you can influence management, change management, and get better outcomes. It's not just a matter of, look, let us on the water and we'll catch and don't trust us. We won't overfish or we won't do anything wrong in terms of ecosystem impacts. Uh, we're partners at the table. Uh, the industry, the stakeholders deserve to be at the table in both the science assessments and the, and the DFO advisories about what we do. And I think, I think the conversation has changed from what it was. It needs to keep changing, Linda. There's still more work to do. Well, indeed. And I mean, a lot of us still feel that sting from the moratorium. I mean, we're still trying to find a way beyond all of that. Um, but that led to a lot of um, distrust, I suppose, with Ottawa and some of the decisions that were made there, whether they were based on science, science or politics or, or how they were made. Those Some of those decisions that a lot of people on the ground here sometimes questioned very strongly. So uh, do we have a better relationship now in, in terms of uh, uh, how those decisions are made and, and the relationship with Ottawa in making those decisions? I would say it's better, but there's always room for improvement. And the SEALS conversation, the Capelin conversation, Mackle, those are just illustrations of still the, the issues that exist and the gaps in what industry perceives or believes and what DFO says. So there's always work to be done. But if you look at you know the shared stewardship model that DFO has adopted, the industry is now more often at the table. And ASP seeks a, a bigger voice at the table in, in some areas, but we're at the table in the advisories and the assessments, giving our input, responding to what DFO says, and that needs to continue, you know, because we've got such practical experience, uh, particularly harvesters on the water, but, but also the producers, because we buy from these harvesters, so we see what's happening, we're, we're aware, we know, but that has to be incorporated. It's one thing to drive to Clarenville and say you've seen a moose, and then the, to repeat that drive with you know, a standardized program repeatedly so that you can actually count moose and, and put it into a model to help estimate moose population. Just the occasional drive to Clarenville is not good enough. You've got to do the regular drive consistently and develop a time series. So we're on the water, we're buying from harvesters. 
we say we know that's all good and needs it needs to be incorporated but you still need to take account of the science uh, as as one of my members says though uh, all models are wrong some are helpful it's unique in what we do in fishery science your listeners should appreciate we can't count fish we don't know we just go out every year and we check and we put we do the, the trial surveys in the fall and the crab pot survey that the union does in crab for example very important and then we take all of the data and we put them into complicated computer models, all kinds of variables. I mean, just just very, very complicated piece of work. And then we estimate population and biomass. That's unique to everything else. With polar bears or maybe even butterflies or trees, you can count. You can literally count. Seal populations, we can count. We see the pups on the ice. That's changing a little bit. Fish population, management of fisheries, populations and extractions by industry is a much more difficult piece. You have to assume certain mortalities. You have to assume certain year classes and structures in the biomass. If if people want a challenge in life, go do fishery science. It's very complicated. Indeed. Uh, And I guess it's just based on a a best guess based on the available data, which is a, 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 a moment in time, if you will. And it's a moment in time. That's, that's a very good point. So it's a snapshot. So you take all the data, all the inputs, water temperatures, year class structure, what you pull out of the fall survey every year, year over year, how many kindergarten students, how many grade ones, twos, threes, and then you estimate you know, the, the, the stock. That's difficult, but it's only a snapshot. I've been calling for, for some time, a, a large Canadian symposium, fishery science for the 21st century. Here we are 22 years in now. And what do we need to do to ensure that our science is world-class and renowned and the best? Uh, we've heard some voices lately. The House of Commons Fisheries Committee is studying science in the gaps. We've got concerns. We missed a fair piece of the survey last year in 2J3KL. We missed it all together in 2020. That was COVID. That was unique. And there are challenges in this fall survey. What is it we need to do? What are the resources we need at the table to ensure we do it right and get the best science, the best data, and then that the models are most representative of the reality? That's uh, that. I think that needs some attention. So has you know has that been met with any um, enthusiasm at all? Or I mean, could could we possibly see a science symposium? I don't know. I think I think the message is understood that we need to do that. Maybe a symposium is just notionally the idea that would generate the conversation to to what we need to do. Maybe a symposium is not the tool, but I think the notion that we need to do better and there's more we could do. I think is understood. And hence, the House of Commons Fishery Committee under Ken McDonald's leadership is undertaking that study now. We've got a SEAL symposium coming up. Will you be taking part in that? And the SEAL symposium as well, so I'll be at that. Uh, we have, I'm, I'm, as always, I'm double booked <laughs> Monday through Wednesday next week. So I'll be taking in as much of both that and a 3PS COD working group committee meeting that takes place at DFO and industry on Monday and Tuesday. But uh, that's another one where you, you speak of the disconnect. You know, DFO says one thing, industry says another. And I have said publicly, well, at the very least, more could be done to reconcile these different views. At the very least, if DFO science is right, where is the failure to explain that to industry? And if industry is right in terms of seal populations, and, and Bob Hardy has done great work in this area, uh, and the seal commission that was recently appointed that the minister had in place and just issued their report, which is the precursor to this, re- this, this summit next week, where is the missing work? for DFO to communicate that reality back to industry so that we can have better buy-in. That's, that's, that's the role of DFO as well. It's not good enough just to do the work and say industry's wrong, and I'm being a bit shallow here. There's more to it than that, or a bit quick about it, but 
um, or the shorthand version. But, but industry needs to be brought to the table to have the best understanding possible. And that the appointment of that commission that looked into SEALs is important. And this symposium or this summit next week is the next and right step. I suppose the difficulty is that, it, like a lot of things, it's all tied in with uh, politics and perception and uh, all kinds of things. Like you say, there must, there, there is, a, I suppose, a, some kind of a disconnect between what the science is showing and how it's being communicated. Absolutely, and and that that's always going to be a challenge. Uh, but but you know, and we've we've got to we've got to enhance that in some manner. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about where the fish processing sector is now and what some of the biggest challenges facing the sector may be uh, when we come back right after this. Our guest today on On Target is outgoing executive director of the Association of Seafood Producers, Derek Butler, who's double booked next week, despite the fact that he's intending to step down in the not-too-distant future. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Our guest today is Derek Butler, Executive Director of the Association of Seafood Producers, who's moving on after 19 years. When uh, when will be your last day? I think we're looking at November 30th, so uh, finish up on, uh, I think that's a Wednesday, and move into the new role formally uh, Thursday morning. <laughs> wow, so no uh, no rest. <laughs> and some of your listeners might say no rest for the wicked. No, it's it's exciting, and I've, I've always worked, and I like Mondays, Linda. I like coming to this job. I've never regretted that, so uh, I'm not looking for an interim or a period of, of downtime, really. Uh, it'll be exciting to get into this new position and, and to start work. So you talked a little bit about what the pro, where the processing sector was when you uh, took over. Where is it now? So and now it's it's uh, you know a dynamic and continues to be. I think it always was, but a dynamic sector. You've got some great people in the industry. That's what makes the industry. It's people. I like to come back to that topic maybe later. Um, we buy tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars of fish. Last year was the highest value of the fishery in the history of the province, if you can believe it, ever. Um, in fact, crab last year was worth more than the value of the fishery to the province in any previous year, one species alone last year. So we will, uh, you know, that, that's a feature of the business that we can buy and sustain buying um, on our lines of credit and whatnot and finance tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of fish purchases and and sell it the world over. I've spoken to Mon business students at, on their business day, and, and I don't think most Memorial students or business students, I don't think this would occur to them naturally. If you want to work internationally, work in the Newfoundland fishery because you'll have a chance to see the world. If you're going to work in sales or on sustainability, if you're going to work in science with DFO um, or management, you're going to see the world, you're going to travel. It's a very dynamic industry in that regard. And we always did. I mean, the Newfoundland always exported us an export business. We can never consume the amount of fish we produce. So it's going to be continue to be a dynamic industry. We sell the world over. International standards are increasing, sustainability standards. We're going to meet those challenges and continue to provide to the marketplace an absolutely high-quality uh, food protein. That's really important. The challenge, I guess, we face, um, and I think you mentioned challenges, is labor. You know, you mentioned at the top of the show the, the, the demographic hit, the challenges of the moratorium. And we took a demographic hit we've never really recovered from. Uh, so we went from and I've said this many times in the past 19 years because it needs to be understood, we went from the youngest population in the country with the highest birth rate to the oldest population with the lowest birth rate. So we simply don't have people, and that's going to be a challenge moving forward because if we don't catch fish and process it, 
we're basically leaving GDP in the water. Or we're leaving jobs in the water. And that's jobs, that's value that contributes to the economy, that contributes to taxes, that helps pave roads and open hospital beds, that pays for school and social supports for the less fortunate. So this sector has been fortunate. Even in the midst of COVID in 2020, we performed. We ran our facilities. We kept our workers safe, harvesters fished, and we continue to contribute to the economy in a way that a lot of sectors in the economy couldn't and didn't. It's just the nature of being essential service, food, and we ran our businesses. So we do that year in and year out, the ever-going or ongoing mega project. So I think we'll continue to be that. There's a, there's a resiliency in the industry, both on the harvesting side and the processing side, that a lot of people might not appreciate. I guess even in 19 years of work, right? There's a resiliency. We like it. It's dynamic. And when we're committed to it, it really gets into your blood. So how are you feeling those uh, labor challenges? Uh, are you relying on temporary foreign workers? Because we've seen some uh, difficulties there as well. Uh, temporary foreign workers is, is going to be is the only really way to address it. Um, we've talked about seasonality and trying to expand the shoulders of the seasons, and we continue to fail to get there. Some of that is Mother Nature, it's inherent to the resource and when we can catch it, inherent to the, the, the structure of the fleet and when they can fish with ice in the water before April and stuff. Uh, there's been automation, but the opportunities for automation, you require a couple of things. You require a lot of capital. You require um, you know a longer operating season. You can't you can't modernize your plant with a whole lot of automation for a three or four month operation. Um, you know your, your your banks won't look at that very kindly. So there are off the shelf solutions and automation. Some have been adopted. Our shrimp plants are highly automated and were from the day we we built them. Um, crab less so. So there's work to be done on that front. Um, and if labor doesn't fill it in, then it's going to have to be it's going to have to be automation. That's going to come with a high cost. Uh, indeed, and uh, I think uh, in the past there's always been that th- that reluctance towards that. But if that's the only choice, then it has to be done. Otherwise, like I say, we leave it in the water, and that would be very unfortunate. Both from a, from an economic contribution standpoint, what we contribute to rural communities to livelihoods. Um, I've adopted a, a moniker on the bottom of ASP's logo: seafood period for life. And when I say for life, I mean healthy food protein, and I mean economic sustainability, contributing to people's livelihoods. And if we don't have that, if for some reason we can't get fish caught and there are challenges on crews on the harvesting side, and if we can't get fish caught or processed, then um, that will that'll take away from GDP, that'll chip away from. And, and, and not it might not matter as much inside the Avalon, although St. John's is the largest landing port in, in the province, um, but it'll be predominant in certain communities where the fishery is an even bigger proportion of GDP. Provincially, we're not such a big proportion anymore, but... You know, we're still the largest private sector employer in the province, and in certain regions and in certain communities, substantially we're it. And if we're not processing it, if we're not fishing, and if we don't have people to do that, then we're going to have to revisit the structure somehow. How much has the industry changed in terms of uh, technology or modernization? I mean, I can remember walking through fish plants years and years ago, and they were big industrial sector uh, structures. And then all of a sudden they turned into a much more, I don't know, a technological, modern, sharp, (laughs) I don't know, you know, almost pristine kind of environment. Well, absolutely. Pristine, pristine is job one. So when, when people complained in 2020 that we didn't want to meet in, in, in bargaining sessions in hotel rooms, 
And someone said, well, you expect workers to go into fish plants. And I said, well, fish plants would be a very safe place to be because of all the protocols we have in place to keep our workers safe, to keep our facilities clean, uh, both pre-COVID because of CFIA requirements and other customer requirements, but just the nature of the business. So, you know, pristine environment, surgical, in many instances, surgical cleanliness. Still a fish plant and smells like fish, but but obviously very different from the old days. And I mentioned shrimp earlier. That's one where if you walk on a shrimp line now, you're going to see relatively fewer workers compared to other fish plants and the old days. Highly automated. You know, if you got computer-directed jet streams that, that blow particles off the conveyor belt to make sure there's no bits of shell or some other particle or foreign material in a package of shrimp. It's highly automated, taking pictures of product and cutting, and it's, it's pretty impressive to see. You've navigated some pretty serious issues. I remember all the controversy surrounding uh, raw materials sharing. What was that like? That was baptism by fire. So that was my first year, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I thought Yemen was rough. That included a, an explosion that took the door off the house at one point. But uh, coming into the fishery with RMS was a challenge. That was shrimp in 2004 and then crab in 2005. I think it was misunderstood, and some people opposed it because it was in, in their perceived vested interest to oppose it. I think it would have given more rationality to the business, better market values, better extraction of value from the market by avoiding the club sessions. And it wasn't something that Newfoundland producers were trying to foist on anybody. Um, it had been adopted in Alaska, including community quotas, and, uh, and and plant quotas. Um, so, but that but that's clearly behind us now. There's no sense talking about it, or we could raise it in, in that sense. And I don't mean it that way. But it's never going to happen again. And I think it was a missed opportunity for a little bit more stability and rationale in the business. The province, of course, recently released its review of the uh, mechanism in place to set fish prices. Uh, what was your response to that? I, my, my instinct would be to throw out everything we have. And, and everybody says, oh, no, that would be terrible. Uh, we'd be, it'd be chaos. I think there'd be a steep learning curve for a couple of years. Um, year one or year two might be hard. But I think we would get to the British Columbia model, the Quebec model for most species, and the New Brunswick PEI and Nova Scotia model for all species, which is prices are set between harvesters and processors on the wharf or in phone calls with no formal collective bargaining process. The challenge in our model is I think it empowers one side disproportionately, and I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, and uh, then they control the fishery in terms of openings. Even if harvesters want to fish, some actors say, no, you're not allowed, we won't let you, and they stop you. Uh, I, I think that's unfortunate. I think it engenders the distrust that we experience in the fishery, which is unfortunate. But that said, we're not getting there, and that's not ever going to happen. It was Joey Smallwood's last piece of legislation, and I think it'll be here forever. So the changes that the government announced, I think uh, David Conway wrote a good report. I think he threaded the needle, as it were. I think it's balanced. It doesn't represent everything I think might be done or should be done in the fishery, but I think the tweaks now, and it's before the House for debate, the tweaks that are being complicated, uh, com- contemplated are, are good attempts at trying to make the system work better. So we support those or most of those. Um, the, the challenge is it's it's... It's another intervention to fix the last intervention. It's always trying to, you know, play on the margins as opposed to dealing with the issue, which is fundamentally the, the, the design of the structure. It engenders the fight that everybody experiences every spring. 
The FFAW's long raised concerns over um, corporate takeover or foreign investment in the local fish processing sector, and I want to ask you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Derek Butler, uh, who is uh, stepping away from the Association of Seafood Producers after 19 years at the helm. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOC. CM lunch break. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is Derek Butler, who is uh, stepping down as executive director of uh, the Association of Seafood Producers after 19 years at the end of this month and then heading off to new <laughs> new challenges. But um, Derek, the FFAW uh, recently said that um, the recent report on foreign investment in the province's fishery failed to acknowledge what it calls the true in- implications of foreign control. Are any concerns there? What, what are your resp- what's your response to that? No, and I think the FAW response is, well, is true to form. I mean, I, I joked the other day, if the government put out a weather report, uh, the union would go berserk on corporate consolidation and competition. Uh, where the consolidation has taken place, if there needs to be a study, is on the harvesting side with the stacking of licenses that is not permitted under DFO regulations and law. Um, what has taken place in the, in the processing sector has been a level of consolidation, which has avoided the very problem that the FAW lamented about for years, which is Friday night frenzies. People so marginalized and financially not strong enough to withstand uh, the pressures, the economic pressures of buying substantial volumes of raw material, processing it, then Monday morning waking up to buy more on the wharf, they would have the Friday night frenzy, call the market, discount and sell and push volumes out, and then try and get back on the wharf after they fill out some cash flow to buy again. The FAW complained about that, and that's changed, and I think that has allowed us to bring home some of the best values historically that we have bought home in snow crab in recent years. You know, substantial market returns to the benefit of the harvesting sector and the processing sector and the province generally. You can't have it both ways, but some people want it both ways all the time. So what's the answer then? Is it greater competition, a greater consolidation? Um, I don't think we need necessarily greater uh, consolidation. I think we're there and we've proven that with the the, the market returns we've been able to support because we have that wherewithal to hold out for higher returns. That that can be a double-edged sword because you can hold out for a lower price and then lose money. But I think it's performed generally well. So I don't think we need more consolidation. And I think we have substantial uh, competition still evidenced by the fact that we still run our facilities very short term and there is still a strong need for more raw material in our plants uh, to provide more work for our workers. Uh, We will have workers this year. It's a feature of the seasonal business, not just in Newfoundland, but in forestry and planting, tree planting and other sectors, agriculture. We'll have EI in our business for for years to come. And the feature of the business, well, this year, one of the realities is we're facing is fewer workers being able to or eligible for EI because we don't have enough hours or work to give them. So I don't think we need more consolidation necessarily, uh, but we have the competition. We do need more work. We're limited by the basket that Mother Nature provides to us. Um, But one thing that would be detrimental to workers, and we experienced that last year, listeners will remember the big public fight over new licenses. New licenses mean to every worker in a crab plant, less work for you less work for you, if not this year or next year, when the resource turns down again, you get less hours. You're get, it, it means you're getting enough, you shouldn't get as much as you get. That's terrible, and I think we should try to help create a stronger industry, better hours, more work for workers who are participating in the industry now for, for quite a few years. 
Did the elimination of uh, Russian cod have an impact? And how did uh, plants, I know Arnold's Cove, for instance, that relied heavily on Russian cod, uh, how did they navigate that? Uh, that's that's been a challenge, and uh, Alberto Worm, great member of the association, you know that's been a challenge for Alberto. And I, as you know, they announced last year they weren't going to source Russian crab, a cod, sorry, and they had to buy from the Barents Sea from Norway and other players. So that's been a challenge. That comes at high cost. That's the nature of their commitment to their community, to their facility, uh, and to their customers to bring in uh, cod and produce it in their plants when they don't have enough supply from local cod. Looking back now over the last 20 years, what are you most proud of? Endurance. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> I lasted. I was. I mean, I never expected, Linda, to be at this for this long, but it has been great. I mean, the people make it so, and I'll say that, and it might surprise your listeners, on both sides of the table. Um, you, you build friendships. Uh, I, I always appreciate the even the friendly digs, but the relationships with harvesters when I go around the province, the things people say. So I made it. I've enjoyed the relationships with people. That is what makes the business. It's very dynamic. Uh, the international opportunities, Boston and Brussels and whatnot, very exciting. Um, I'm, I'm pleased. So I'm proud I made it. I'm pleased with that. It was a steep learning curve. I always say I'm not smart, but I'm quick. And the new person is going to have to be quick as well and hopefully smart too, and that'll be even better. Um, the sustainability agenda, pushing the sustainability agenda at, at the request of members. Members, you know, there was buy-in. As such, like the, the FIP work we do, the MSC certifications, we certified the first MSC Marine Stewardship Council Fishery in Canada. I've got the certificate here in my hand, actually, because it was on the wall. So here we go. And that was the first fishery in Canada, the first on the eastern seaboard of North America, and the largest then certified uh, shrimp fishery in the world. And now Canada is second in the world for value and volume of fish, value or volume, I forget which, certified to that standard. And as I say to everybody, it's one tool. It's one tool in the in the toolbox in terms of improving fisheries management and sustainability. But I was pleased we did it, proud that members stepped up, and we did snow crab after that. Turbot has been done. And so we support uh, the sustainability agenda, and that's, I think, in our DNA as well. Because after all, we're in it for the long haul, harvesters and processors included. Any regrets? Uh, I've gotten mad and had to apologize. Uh, few times. I guess I regret those occasions, but uh, it can be pretty uh, intense at times if the pressure is there. But um, no, I, certainly no regrets in staying, no regrets in working as I have. Um, you know, I think I've done it with integrity. I think most people, there's a begrudging respect for what you have to do and the job you have. Tell the truth, act with integrity, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been, you're not going to make me cry, Linda. <laughs> it's been really good. It's been, the, it's been the honor of a lifetime. I say that to members every year in my operations report. It's been my closing line for 19 years. It's an honor to represent you, and I thank you for the trust. And I say that to them now after listening. It's been an honor. So what does the rest of this month look like? You have a busy week next week. It is busy. Uh, so uh, trying to wrap things up, trying to leave things, and I think we will in a very good place. i got great staff here, Renee and Sherry and Francis, who will leave things in a good place for the new person coming in. So it'll be a seamless transition. All the files will be handled and in place. Um, so it's getting all that ready. Um, have a Christmas party and a drink at some point, I guess, and then uh, ride off into none of it. I'll be based here, but working for none of it. So I'm really excited about the future. And tell us about your role now in this uh, SEAL symposium. So my role, I guess, is to listen and to, to, to hear what's said and to see what they might propose different in terms of our understanding of the impact of the abundance of SEALs on fish populations. You know, we all want ecosystems in balance. 
And the industry's concern, and I think we're right, is that we don't have balance with an aggressive and substantial seal population that is out of sorts, out of kilter with the rest of the fisheries populations that we would like to prosecute commercially for food protein. Something is wrong. Seals are eating a lot of fish, and to my understanding, what we've said or known to date has been limited. So we need to enhance that understanding, and then we need to consider what are the best ways that we can deal with this. You want to maintain healthy ecosystems, and it can't just be healthy for seals and the rest be damned. We've got to do something different. And the uh, the other, um, you said you were double booked next week. What are you, What else are you doing? Oh, next week, the, oh my, the, the list is endless. It's getting everything in place, working with the team now to make sure everything's in place for the new person. So we have to go through a lot of files, computers, emails, and the rest to make sure everything's in place. And then the, the farewells with members and uh, off to none of it. Okay, so I haven't made you cry yet, but any final thoughts? Maybe a story. One of the things I appreciate is that harvesters have been I mean, very funny. The, the weight is renowned in Newfoundland generally, but... The stuff like, you know, the harvester who was fishing a long way out and John Furlong said, how do you do it? How did you get back in last night? He said, by nothing to it. I think it's about Derek Butler up last to the bow when I comes on. I've enjoyed that. Uh, you know, it hasn't always, sometimes it's been personal and aggressive, but I enjoy the digs. I enjoy the camaraderie that you experience at the table with harvesters. That might surprise people, but it's been really nice. You know, there's a lot of harvesters reached out this week and said a lot of nice things. That means a lot to me. I know my members, or I hope my members say nice things and think nice things. But it's good. It's it's affirming to get it back across the table from the other side as well from time to time. So it sounds like you have to have a little bit of a thick skin, but also there's that wink and a nod. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was asked once in a meeting, you know, why do you do it from harvesters? And I said, because every one of you would pay my next mortgage payment if you had to. And I had then probably still have the cheapest mortgage in the room. <laughs> and uh, And they said, yes, Butler, but we might not pay the second one. Uh, so there is that, you know, there's a mutual respect. I think everybody knows everybody got a hard job to do. But uh, there's room for improvement, Linda. We can make the, adult, the relationship more adult, make it better at the table, have a more trusting environment to, to shake hands at. Uh, sadly, we haven't gotten there, and I think that's inherent in the structure. It's a boxing ring. But I think there's room for improvement. Maybe with my moving on, there's a, a chance for that. Well, Derek, I have to say, over the last uh, close to 20 years, anyway, you've always been accessible, and we appreciate that in this side of the business, anyway. Uh, Thanks so much, and all the best now in your future endeavors, as they say. Thank you so much, Linda. I really appreciate it. I'll continue to be a fan and listen to the program. Thanks very much, and all the best, and enjoy that Christmas party. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, we'll be back on Monday. Stay tuned for that. I got uh, something in the hopper for there. And um, uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Again, if you're going to be enjoying Guy Fawkes Night, do so safely and within the confines of the law in your particular municipality. Uh, Have a great weekend, everyone. Uh, We'll talk to you later.